Good morning, church. How beautiful is it this morning to be standing amongst family? Not many people can say that. Not many people can stand with family, but you just so happen to be in this room this morning, and guess what? It's a family. Yeah. More and more, we're beginning to learn of the characteristics and faithfulness and grace. Man, that's a lot of things. That comes from the burning heart of our Father. When we draw closer to the Father, our sonship becomes that much more real. It's to be celebrated. It's to be celebrated this morning. As we've discussed this last Sunday, he wishes that all who come by the way of the door, being Christ, would find pasture in which they can find rest in the fact of what? You shall be holy. You shall be holy because he is holy. This is no longer an anxiety for those who live within the realm of the spirit and within the realm of the pasture in which the father has laid out for his children. No more anxiety, no more fear. We get to rest and finally be securely seated at the table like we've been talking about for a couple of years now. Church, there's no other way in which you can walk in by. Jesus is the way. And it is important to know that God was not so transactional, by the way. The cool thing is that one of you at a time comes through the door, and each time the Father is looking at you in your eyes and saying, Son, I'm excited to have you home today. And that's what I want to translate in this message, and I want every single one of you to feel that. Son, I'm excited for you to be here today. Because if we can get that right, then we would live a life of celebration, which is going to be the point of our message today. That being said, his house is and will be marked by joyous celebration for those who come into the fold of God. This morning, we will be sharing a message which he titled, House of Celebration. Do you want to be known as a house of celebration in this community? Yes. Like Goshen, whenever all the plagues are going throughout uh, Egypt, they see, this, they see this town over there that's not being hit, yeah. and they're celebrating. Yeah. But we're going to learn today that the kingdom much definitely has to do with this very thing, a home. But there's two houses that you can reside in, a house of celebration or the house of accusation. Yeah. And this is what we'll be talking about this morning. Our first scripture we want you guys to hear today is Psalm 84, verses 1 through 4. And it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. Come on. My soul yearns and even faints. Yes. He said, For the courts of the Lord, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed, blessed are those who dwell in your house. Come on. They are ever praising you. Man, this guy, the, the Lord even gave a sparrow a home. No offense to the bird, but how much more us? How much more us that whenever he created you into this world that he designed you to be what? A part of a household. The cool thing is, and the truth for every single one of you this morning is that you have found a place called home. Blessed are those who dwell in the house, in your house. 
They are ever praising you. I literally get an image of somebody that just is spilling over with joy. They can't help but praise him. Yeah. We see that endless praise testifies to a deep thankfulness for our belonging within the household. Whether you've been in this homestead 30 years or have been a resident for 30 days, is your present reality undying gratitude? You got to ask yourself this question this morning. Am I spilling over with celebration? Are you spilling over with celebration for the raise this morning? I am. Yes. It's the most beautiful thing that's ever happened. (laughs) Is that God sets the lonely in families. And the moment that Landon finds a place called home is the moment that he realized that his Abba called him to be the shepherd of the flock. Yeah. He doesn't have to worry anymore. He's walked into his identity, and I'm going to tell you what, this morning, every single one of you get to do that as well. Do y'all remember when we read out of John chapter 10 last week, and we were speaking about the good shepherd being, he's the shepherd, he's the good shepherd, he's the shepherd of shepherds, he's the gate, he's all of it. And that if you enter into that sheep pen any other way other than through the gate, then John 10 describes that you were a thief and a robber. That is by definition, if you are inside of that sheep pen any other way other than through him, you will struggle with the identity that you really are something else just dressed up as one of his sheep. And will leave you wondering the rest of your life whether, this, whether that is your home, whether that's the right people to reside around, and whether or not that he really wants you in there. Of course he wants you in there. He opened the door for you, but you might second guess it if you came in any other way. Whenever we're talking about a house of celebration, and we're talking about a people who are overcome, as the psalmist wrote there, who even faint for the for the courts of the Lord, just to be in his presence, to walk before his throne, that your heart faints. It is overwhelming to all of your senses to do so. That is a people. We are a people who are then, who belong because we came through the gate. We, are, we don't identify as sons. We don't identify as daughters because you found a church that's accepting of you, right? You, that is a byproduct of a whole room full of genuine sons and daughters, those who are secure in their, their place in the sheep pen of John 10, who are secure of their place at the table, right? That is a byproduct of something like that. But, but what happens sometimes is you might get a pastor one day who might be having a bad day, a little cranky or something. Or he might be so busy he didn't take your phone call. Or you might have a father in the faith who was out of town one weekend and wasn't there for you whenever you needed them most. But you know what keeps that sense of sonship, even reflecting onto your um, involvement in your local church, is that you are a genuine son of your father in heaven. And that's worth celebrating about. That's Amen. worth being excited about in all circumstances. Whether you're offended, whether you're frustrated, whether you're tired, whether you have a bad attitude, you can flip all of that around because you know that your Father in heaven loves you and calls you a son and daughter in this house today. Church, I am fired up today. I'm fired up today. Are you fired up today? Yes. Turn to Luke 15 then. We've been here every week for a month. 
Because some of you still haven't got it. And that's okay because you're going to get it today. When you get there, say house of celebration. Y'all are already there. Come on. Your pa- the pages of your Bible are slightly bent to fall open to Luke 15 right now. They just said it all at once. I was like, wow. All right, we're going to start in verse 18. But let me remind you of this story. We had a son who was given an inheritance by his father. Funny enough, this actually translates, and what this means is that whenever the father gave his son the inheritance, he was saying, I'm dead to you. Though he had not died yet, he's given his son his inheritance. Because somewhere within their relationship, the son is saying, I'm done. And the father's saying, I'm dead to you. So the son takes his inheritance, and he squanders it on wild living. And, but guess what happens? He finds himself in a pig pen. And all of a sudden, he was reminded that even his father's servants had more food than him in that moment. So he runs back towards camp. And this is what happens. Verse 18. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put him Put it on him for a ring on his finger and a sandals on his feet. Bring a fattened calf and kill it. And guess what? Let's have a feast and celebrate. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So let's begin to celebrate. Come on. This man had just squandered his father's inheritance and the father says, saying, my son's back, let's celebrate. I can just imagine what a great smile was on the father's face in the moment. Because this was me. And this was you. The day that you came walking up to the land of your father. Some of you can see that. Others cannot. My expectation at best was I'd get an opportunity to show my father how sorry I was. Like this lost son, when I came up to my father's house, I'm like, maybe one of your hired servants because I want to show you how sorry I am. I can't pay it back, but I can at least be the slave the rest of my life. But instead, he was met with endless kisses and celebration right when I crossed the threshold of the door. We have to begin to celebrate what the Father celebrates, is the very point. Luke 15, 3 through 7. Then Jesus told them this parable. This is a little back, a little bit back. 
Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together, rejoice with me, celebrate with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Dude, he had, nine, he had 100 sheep. He only lost one, man. What's the big deal? Why is he leaving the 99 to go after the one? That sounds irresponsible. Because he cares about the one. And heaven rejoices whenever somebody walks into this room on a Sunday and they repent and give their life to the Lord. Are we giving the due celebration the way that heaven does? We're going to. <laughs> Even heaven throws a party. Why? Because the shepherd knows if he can get a lost sheep back into the pen, then everything else will be okay. Listen to that this morning. And I'm not talking about somebody coming to church on a Sunday, by the way. I'm talking about when walking into the revelation of righteousness that comes only by the way of the door of the sheep pen. Why does God put significance on the lost son? Because he came running home knowing that he was made for more than the pig's pen, which is far better than 99 righteous persons. You know, what we're all being directed towards today is focus on being a house of celebration. But we do want to show you guys the, the, the opposite of what this looks like. And maybe you might be able to relate with some of it. You yep. might be able to relate with some of what we saw in the scriptures called a house of accusation. You still in Luke 15? Look at verse 25 now. We're going to continue with the story of the returning son of the loving father except on the side of the older brother. So verse 25 says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He was doing the work that he was supposed to be doing. Good job. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What is going on? You know, you know what? <laughs> For those with embittered hearts, man, uh, Y'all, I'm not trying to pick on you because I have lived with an embittered heart most of my life. They don't understand why people celebrate. They don't understand why a room full of people are as joyful as they really are. It's confusing to them. It confounds the wisdom of the embittered wise. Why a room full of people who have been set free and have been forgiven, who have come home, could celebrate and shout and dance and scream and everything as much as they are. That's why it's confusing. He says, what is going on? Your brother has come, the father replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. Refused to go in and celebrate. 
So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders once. (laughs) So he thought. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. My friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and yet he is now found. Guys, we start to hear over our church, over many other churches. I'm being, I hear it being spoken over other churches right now who I, that I intimately know. And the same things are being spoken. The same things are being prophesied over them. A confidence in that everything that is the Father's is yours. But it has to be said week after week after week after week after week. And why does it have to be said so many times? Because most of us, more than we would like to admit, have a heart similar to that of the older brother. That's why we have to be told so many times that everything the father, that is the Father's is ours because we're insecure about all this work that we've been putting in and we don't feel like we've gotten the results and the celebration that we deserve. And then it's confusing when you hear people shouting and dancing and singing. Like, I don't understand. I've been slaving this whole time. Jesus said this in Matthew eleven sixteen through 19. He said, to what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other, like gossiping and slandering and complaining. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sing a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Some of you, some of us, some of me, some of me, (laughs) we can't make you cry. We can't make you celebrate in joy. Sometimes some of us here in this room have to be prompted to thank your Father in heaven. Some must be provoked to declare his goodness. Some stay silent regarding his goodness even when corporately instructed to do so. We will see and hear a change in this church. Amen. We will see and hear a change in our corporate gatherings. And it's not going to be because of behavioral modification. It's not going to be because we came up here and said, you better start doing this or else. We have no interest in saying that to you. What we want to see in every single soul in this room is some of the things that God has started to do in our hearts. That's why this isn't a message of accusation. We have sat in our office 
weeping at our desk over the new revelation of the things that the Holy Spirit has just unraveled before us. This isn't a message of accusation. We are talking about a house of celebration. But we want you, every one of you in this room, to experience the same freedom that we're experiencing yes. right now. Things are being unraveled and accusational lenses are falling off. Frustration and anxiety and grief and a focus on everything negative and not a focus on the goodness of the Father. All these things are changing in our hearts presently. This generation of even those sitting, sitting in this room aren't so different, it sounds like, from those that Jesus spoke of or like that of the older brother in Luke 15. Proper order in this father's house, hear me, shalom, proper order. We've, heard, we've, we've uh, been taught these things, right? Proper order in this father's house in Luke 15 and your father in heaven's house is to celebrate the new life in a son who for a time was once dead. The older brother then becomes an example of what? Disorder. A house divided. Listen to what God has revealed to us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 regarding order and disorder. As you turn to 1 Corinthians 14, I want to give you a little backstory. We see in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul as a father to the church of Corinth has begun to lay out some house rules. For the sake of what though? Order. We've heard it, that God is not a God of control, but of order. And I completely agree with that statement. This is testified here in 1 Corinthians 14. Listen into the scripture with this. I'll start in verse 30, just for some context. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. Yeah. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. And verse 33 is the point that we want to make here this morning. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. When we stop and consider the word used to describe God and his nature, one of the two words spoken here is the word disorder. God is not disorderly. Can we agree with that? Yes. He knows all things. The scripture says at any given time, his eyes can be locked and gazed fully on you. Him with absolutely no distraction. This is the omnipotence of God. He can be right here. He is right here right now. And his eyes are fixed and gazed on you. Does that sound like disorder? No. Or better understood here, he is not a God whose household is dysfunctional. Raise your hand if you grew up in a dysfunctional house. A lot of us did. I was actually looking at some of the things that define a dysfunctional house. And it was things like neglect. No intimacy, irritability, anxiety. And these are inconsistent expressions of love. Not no expressions of love, just inconsistent, inconsistent expressions of love. 
The point of this is God's house is not that. And the houses that we grew up in can make us attribute some characteristics to God's house that aren't really a part of God's house. We want to clear this up this morning. Many of you understand what dysfunctional households are like, which makes the concept of his household that much more of a scandal to you. (laughs) I want to show you a few words here in verse 33. Disorder. You can listen in. The word disorder in the Greek, Strong's 181. I'm going to go with the numbers so I don't just dis- dis- uh, embarrass myself. Disorder in the Strong's. You can write it down. G181. Commonly translate to this purely. Uncertainty of residence is disorder. That's what the word means. <laughs> Uncertainty of resi- residence. They use the word exile here. Confusion, noise, disturbance. You ever just feel like you just have a bunch of noise in your head that you can't get out? Yes. You're just so disturbed by it? That's disorder. But the first word, a couple words translated here are things like unstable, uncertainty of your residence. How many times have you been uncertain that you belong here? How many, how many of you have stand and asked yourself, I'm kind of uncertain whether I really truly deserve this love or that God really truly loves me? This is disorder. This isn't peace. This is disorder. God will do everything it takes for those, listen to this, who have entered into his house to find their purpose within the household. He will not allow you to be anxious at his table. He's a good father, and he does this. And he's raising up spiritual fathers and brothers in your life that come up to you and say, hey, bro, are you anxious right now? A little bit. (laughs) He's not okay with somebody standing there questioning their residence within his house. He's not a God of disorder. What does this mean? In his love and compassion, he knew what you were when you came in. But like any child, as long as you're under the right covering with the right meals and right provision, it's a promise that you'll grow. You won't be malnourished in Abba's house. And you didn't do this, not by your might, but by his spirit, declares the Lord. Accusation has no place in the household of God. And once that has vanished from your life, then comes the expulsion of the threat of your residence within his household. He's going to send the accusation running away because he's not okay with you questioning whether you belong or not each day. He's done with that. His blood paid for that. And his blood will sanctify you because it was a good enough sacrifice. And because of who? Jesus Christ and our Lord, our Father, accusation and the threat that you live with each day that you don't belong has to go. Why? Because we're in a house of celebration. And for the one who repents and turns to the Father, We kill the fattened calf and we party and we dance and we sing. 
This is what we do yes. in Abba's house. Yes. You will grow into the shoes that God has already placed on your feet. Yeah. It's funny. You, look, you walk a little weird sometimes. <laughs> but it's That's a promise stupid. that you'll grow into the shoes and the shoes have been given to you today. So stop doubting it and walk in the love that Abba has always had for his creation. Yes. He's not a God of disorder. Yeah. That word for disorder, guys, I mean, just think about that for a second. What's funny, I'm about to start walking you through the word in the Greek here for peace. God is not a God of disorder, but he is a God of peace, right? But think about what most people in our through a religious spirit taught us about 1 Corinthians 14 in church growing up. This is actually kind of funny. Whenever I heard that God was not a God of disorder, it was justification for their criticism against a room full of people who were dancing and shouting and speaking in tongues. Disorder. That's what I was told disorder was. That's disorder. God would not want that. People should be seated in their comfy chairs listening to a stale sermon from a guy who hadn't felt the presence of God in 10 years. That's order. That is not order. That is disorder. What's orderly is a house of celebration. That, that you have to stop the church from shouts of praise. That your pastors would have to walk up to the front and be like, I know you guys can't stop proclaiming his goodness, but we've got to teach you something today too, or we'll be here all day. Oh, you want to be here all day? Okay, great. Well, then continue praising them. Amen. That's what a house of order is. Peace is Strong's G1645. It's the word Irene. You ever met a lady named Irene? They're usually nice. Yes. They got some peace about them. The word Irene does not only mean peace. It contextually means a freedom from worry. A freedom from worry. Not just being without worry. Being free from, from worry. worry. Do, you, do you understand the distance? You can have an absence of worry. It's just a good, it's a pretty easy week going on. No conflict, no arguments in the house. Bank account's good. Businesses are going well. Everything's going great. That's not what I'm talking about. A freedom from worry that in every circumstance that would justify worry for the flesh, that doesn't get on you. You stand above that. Amen. To be at peace, to live in peace, peace, peaceful, to make peace. That's everything that Irene has to do with. But listen to this. It means light and weight, quick and agile. That's crazy. So it's almost like something gets off of your back so that you actually have the ability to move in the way that God intended you to move. That's what having peace looks like. Amen. So having peace does not look like the person who sits in the corner of the room silent the entire time. That's not peace. Oh, that's a peaceful person. They're so quiet. That's not what that means. It means having an authority over worry, having a freedom over it because of the light that is within you then allows you to stand above it. This, guys, is what it means to be in peace, to be light, to, to, to be light on your feet, to be without worry. In Proverbs 29, verse 2, it says, everyone rejoices when the lovers of God flourish. Yeah. But the people groan when the wicked rise to power. Guys, we are seeing in, inside of this 
church, this local church, this local family, the righteous rising up. And some of you, it's not because we're getting new people in the doors. It's not because it's, it's new families. Yes, that too. But it's because those who God always intended to know that they, were, that they were carriers of his righteousness are finally opening their eyes to the fact that he always intended them to be identified as righteous. Come and on. so then everyone in our community begins to rejoice. So what is it a witness of about us then that someone could walk in this church and remain with a pitiful attitude for months or even years. What does it mean about us? That means that the light in us has to become infectious. We always want to say, well, I'm just going to go be a light in a dark place. That's why I kept the job that I have. That's why I go to the church I go to. Be a light in a dark place. How's that going? Dang, in the church. Yeah. Guys, this, this light in us, that's his light that you're talking about. It's his light that you're talking about. And you know what his light did to you? Flipped your life upside down. So why is it that you claim to be reflecting his glory perfectly and there's no room for improvement, but then also everyone around you maintains the same attitude of groaning described in Proverbs 29? I think we have some room to improve, yeah? I want to just reflect his glory more. Yeah. And what's cool is that there's no behavioral change that you can do here to reflect his glory better. You just got to get closer to him. You just have to be nearer to him where you can hear his voice speak over you. Anyways, I'm going to preach on that all day. Luke chapter 7 is what we're aiming at here. Turn there with us. Say house of celebration when you get there. Say it with an excited tone in your voice. There we go. That's awesome. Because when we were writing Come this on. sermon, I actually like imagine like those little yellow minions just like going crazy. <laughs> That's what no, I imagine. No, no. We can do better than that. Yeah. <laughs> I really hope we can do better than that. <laughs> Luke chapter 7, look at verse 36. This is a house of accusation that light came in and took a seat at its table this is what it looks like this is what it sounds like now one of the pharisees was requesting jesus to dine with him and he entered the pharisee's house and reclined at the table <laughs> you know what happens when really confident righteousness walks in a room of a house of accusation where he's being set up to be accused he reclines at the table he's like, he what is you got, a man? freedom from worry and there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. <laughs> what awesome timing. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with tears. And he kept, wipe and, and, and kept wiping them with her, the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of person this woman is who's touching him, that she's a sinner. And Jesus wow. answered him, Simon, don't be confused. This is not Simon Peter. This is Simon, a Pharisee, the owner of the house. Simon, I have something to say to you. If Jesus stops you in the middle of your sentence like that, you're going to be shaking and quaking right yep. there. Oh, no. 
Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my tears but wet my feet with her tears and wow. wiped them with her hair. Wow. You gave me no kiss, but, sin- but since the time I came in, sh- she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Listen to this. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many. Jesus isn't blind to the fact of who this woman is her sins which are many have been forgiven listen to that for yourself today if that's where you're sitting at today listen her sins which are many his sins your sins which are many have been forgiven come on so she loves much but he who is forgiven little loves little then he said to her your sins have been forgiven Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in a freedom from the worry that you came in, that you didn't even belong to stand in front of me when you were washing my feet. She was washing his feet on her knees behind him. She said, I'm not even worthy for you to look down and see me doing what I'm doing. And he said, look at me in my eyes. Go in peace. Go in a freedom from all worry. Every sin that you came in here with has just been erased and sent away. And now you can go move forward with zero anxiety. Peace. Jesus is in a house of accusation or judgment. He there magnifies the power of forgiveness and its resulting celebration Matthew 20 the Matthew 26 account so we just read together Luke chapter 7 the Matthew 26 account of this says wherever my gospel is preached wherever my good news worthy of celebration is preached this message will go with it yes wherever you hear my gospel preached this attitude will go with it right here John, the John 12 account, which naturally I almost used, but I liked all the detail in Luke. I can't decide whether Luke or John's my favorite sometimes. John 12, the John 12 account, Judas criticizes it because he had already, listen, Judas had already heard inside, heard the voice of accusation inside of his mind according to and in measure to the sin he already held in his heart. Wow. Judas had already been sinning. Uh, John describes skimming money, funds out of Jesus's treasury that went with their ministry. But he hasn't betrayed him yet. But 
such a loud voice of accusation comes in regarding this woman because he and you and I have a voice of accusation coming out of our mouths towards others because we live with it in our heads every day. We live with it it's in true. our heads according, according to the measure of sin you have in your heart. So how do you remove a voice of accusation in your head? One, you got to know the authority that he has over all of the sin that you've done. Amen. But he doesn't force you to stop having sin in your heart. That's something that you grow in nature like him by being close to him, spending time with him, being near to him, his voice being his shepherdly voice, being the voice that enters your ears and that you follow. Then that sin in your heart starts to become less and less and less frequent. And now that voice of accusation that keeps you anxious and stressed and depressed and running to substance abuse and being reliant on any other chemical, any other anything other than his presence, that right there, he removes all of that stuff, guys. Yes. In the John 12 account, it also says this. This is so interesting. In this story, it says that the crowds and the accusers wanted to see Jesus. This is now Jesus has stepped up, walked out of the house of the Pharisee. He is now walking out in the open, and crowds and Pharisees and accusers are coming to him. But they didn't only want to see Jesus. You guys can go look at John 12 in your own time later today. But it says they wanted to see Jesus because of his signs, and they wanted to see Lazarus. Why did they want to see Lazarus? And it said that they wanted to kill him just like they wanted to kill Jesus. Now, why on earth would an older man who just died and was brought back to life against his own will, mind you, Jesus did it. He couldn't muscle himself out of death, right? Why would they want to kill him in the same way, at the same time, and with the same anger in their heart as Jesus Well, in one translation, it describes they wanted to kill him because of his incontrovertible, I know it's a big word, bear with me, incontrovertible miracle testimony. There was no controversy, no accusation that could stand against his miracle testimony. So let's just kill him. So let's just kill him. Guys, let it be a sign to you that an incontrovertible miracle testimony is alive in you whenever your accusers don't know what else to do to you but try to take you out. They're like, I can't shut him up. He doesn't think of himself as righteous. He didn't bring himself back to life. He's pointing at this Jesus fellow. So we got to kill the one who resurrected him, and we have to kill the resurrected if we're going to shut this thing down. Guys, we have a whole... We have a whole population, a majority of our nation, who wants to silence the gospel. But how come they don't want to silence you? Ask yourself that. Is the witness of an incontrovertible miracle testimony alive in you today? It is, church, and it should be seen and heard by all. Because like in the story of Luke 15 with the two sons, we are not the older brother. We are the one who was brought back in. Amen. And if we recognize today our sin, then we don't have to combat anything. Listen to this. How do we go from a church accused by many and silenced by its accusers to a church still accused by many 
but overcoming its accusers. How do you do that? Fight better? Argue better? More Facebook posts? More YouTube channel videos? No. We have a witness is how we do it. We have a witness of the dead being brought to life, Come of on. marriages being restored, Come fathers on. and sons' hearts being turned to each other, joy and thanksgiving being ignited in a people. All according to the forgiveness of the one who can forgive and its resulting celebration. And a people who are so loud in celebration, listen, so loud in celebration that the voice of the accusers cannot be heard over the rumble of shouts of praise. Come on. That's how you stand in a crowd of accusers and a cloud of witnesses all at the same time. Come on, there was a cloud going through the wilderness, guiding the people by day, and yet accusers were all around, but they couldn't stop the cloud of witness from moving through the wilderness. Just like us, church, we're not going to silence them. We're not going to kill them. They're trying to kill us, but we're not going to do that to them. What we do is we have a witness of resurrection life. You do not need to combat your accusers, church. You don't need to combat your accusers. You do, though, because the witness of light and life in you is inferior to the authority of your accusers. Think about that. The witness of light and life in you is inferior to the authority of your accusers. That's why you fight. Come on. Today, we're taking hold of his love. Because this is the only way we win. Today, we're taking hold of his love, of his forgiveness, and we're going to drive out drive out the voice of accusation inside of this church, and we are going to drown out the voice of accusation from outside of this church. Amen? Amen. Church, do you remember our purpose as a church? To know him and to make him known. If we could live that to be our purpose, it would look a little bit like this. Ephesians 3, 14. says, For this reason... I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. Who's who's missed out on that? Nobody. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, all of you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. This is corporate. It goes on to say, to do what with each other? To grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. Come on, if we came here every Sunday corporately and we just got obsessed about grasping how high, how long, and how deep is the love of God, we would be empowered yeah. for something. Yeah. goes on to say this. And to know the love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of what? The fullness of God. You want to overflow? Focus. On how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of God. And I promise you, your life will overflow. It's a celebration. Yes, amen. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within who? Us. 
To him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations. He's been about the generations the entire time. Because you know why? He's raising up sons who actually know their father. And because they know their father and they grasp how high, how wide, how long, how deep his love is for them, they're empowered. They can make change, not just in this generation, but the next. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. Guys, Devin and I, along with uh, Pastor Landon. <laughs> Pastor Landon. We're sitting together and we were talking yesterday and we noticed that there was a pattern. We're centering our minds back on Luke 15 right now. And the younger brother, this is the pattern. He is a recognition or rather it's just a fact. I failed. And then he comes home and, it, and the story continues with I am forgiven. It then shows that I am filled with love. Consider this for yourself right now. Cons Put yourself, we're going to go through each one of these brothers' shoes and think about this. I failed. I am forgiven. I am filled with his love. That's what we experience, right? Then, in result, I forgive others and do not accuse. And finally, this love is multiplied among the people with a sound of celebration and of joy corporately among sons and daughters of the living God. It's not accusation anymore. It's not frustration anymore. It's a sound of celebration. But in the older brother, he also fails. He then conceals his failure by telling his father, I've been doing this work the whole time, and I have never failed you once. This is the difference between those who feel accepted and don't feel accepted. It actually, at the very beginning, starts with whether or not you are able to recognize failure in your life. Because if you spend your whole life concealing your, your failures, trying to look good to everyone in front of you, hiding behind the door of your houses, hiding behind a stony look on your face, then you never, you never get to experience the acceptance and the forgiveness and the love of the Father. This is why we reveal who we are, and we are confident that his light deals very easily with our darkness. We don't have to hide anymore. In fact, it's his forgiveness, it's his love that he lavishes us with at the gate that then sets us free and then empowers us to go and be everything that we're supposed to be in him. And then we get to party the whole time. Party. Come on, guys. That's so, this is so much more exciting than anything that the religious spirit has ever given you and me. This is so much more exciting that we don't have to live as an older brother in Luke 15, concealing our failures, yes. comparing ourselves to the brother who did fail all the time to make ourselves feel superior, and then filled with anxiety. Do you feel filled with anxiety on a regular basis? This is not the voice of accusation speaking. This is the voice of freedom speaking to you today. Do you feel filled with anxiety? on a regular basis. Well, that's what the older brother was filled with. That's why he had to compare himself to his younger brother who, was fail who had failed but had been forgiven. Because then you go on to accuse other people. You go on to make a case for why other people shouldn't be accepted, why other people shouldn't be taken in. And accusation and heartless theology begins to multiply within a corporate church body. 
accusation and heartless theologies start to multiply that do not that cannot on a chemical level coincide with what Jesus described his father to be so why is it that we have these things split in us church today we are recognizing that we can come before our father and walk into a house of celebration come on. and be a represent representation of what's going on in the heavens right here on the earth and we don't have to fake it we don't have to fake it because we really can reveal our failures to him and say father will you will you just take me back and he's like I already got the robe coming. I already got the ring coming. It's coming right now, and I'm going to clothe you. I'm not even going to bathe you first. I'm going to clothe you with my own cloak, and I'm going to put my own ring on you. I'm not giving you back what was once you. I'm giving you an upgrade. This is mine, and I'm giving it to you because if I dress you in myself, then you, you don't have, there's, all we have to clean is your feet, Jesus said. You're already clean. You're mine. You can have some dirt on you, right? Kids can play outside in the backyard and have a little dirt on them. They're still yours. You're like, I'll take you. I'll hug you. (laughs) But Jesus says, it's just your feet that need to be cleaned. Church, we want to have an opportunity together today as we're closing out for us to be able to praise him, to be able to have an expression of praise on the outside equal to the measure of the praise and the thanksgiving and the forgiveness that we've experienced on the inside. Do you guys want to be able to express these things better in your life? I do. And I've felt bounded for years in my grumpy attitude and poor behavior and the things that don't reflect that of Christ. And we can be set free together. We can have smiles on our faces. We can have, as Pastor Mike says, air between our feet and the floor. You can have fun worshiping Jesus. You can have to be told to be silent because your shouts of praise are so loud. So y'all stand up with us today. And we're going to close this out getting to walk these things out together. We got a soundboard turning on. There we go. Come on. <laughs> oh, I'll sing, just not on a mic. Come on. Yep, I sure am. Come on, guys. He's been so good to us. Right? Right? Golly. I know life hurts sometimes. I know things are difficult sometimes. I know bank accounts aren't where you want them to be, and sometimes you feel like friends betray you or people pass away. Sometimes you feel betrayed by others. But listen to this right here. As the worship team is getting set up. Let me tell you a song that was written by by David himself. He says, let my passions, in Psalm 51, let my passion for life be restored. You need some passion for life restored in you? It's going to happen right now. Amen. Tasting joy in every breakthrough that you bring to me. Hold me close to you with a willing spirit that obeys whatever you say. Then I can show the guilt, other guilty ones how loving and merciful you are. They will find their way back home to you. They will find their way back home to you because of my witness of how loving and merciful you are.
they will find their way back home to you knowing that you will forgive them. Oh God, my saving God, deliver me fully from every sin, even the sin that brought blood guilt. Then my heart will once again be thrilled to sing, be thrilled to sing the passionate songs of joy and deliverance. Lord God, unlock my heart, unlock my lips, and I will overcome with my joyous praise. For the source of your pleasure is not in my performance. (laughs) Come on, let that set you free today. The source of your joy, God, is not in my performance or the sacrifices I might offer to you. The fountain of your pleasure, God, is found in the sacrifice of my shattered heart before you. You will not despise my tenderness as I bow down humbly at your feet because of your favor, Zion. Do what is good for her. Be the protecting wall around Jerusalem. And when we are fully restored, you will rejoice and take delight in every offering of our lives as we bring our sacrifices of righteousness before you in love. Come on, church. Today today if you don't feel if you don't feel those same shouts of praise that will cause others to come and know that they're going to be forgiven and loved in his sight then you can fall on your face and ask for a tender heart today you can then we're going to then you can get up and celebrate with everyone else as they're celebrating but together today at remnant church we will celebrate in a way that will cause the whole world to see of his goodness and of his forgiveness and of his love amen come on